Welcome back. I'm Tracy Ramos, and this is Booze Nation, the podcast. We are in the month of June. Happy Pride and happy Juneteenth. And yes, we're still in a pandemic. And on June 2nd of 2022, Alameda County issued a mask mandate. So please, everybody, put your masks back on and just keep them on. I mean, why not? I mean, every day that we get dressed, we put our pants, we put our shoes, we put our shirts on. So just put a mask on. It takes like one second. So let's just keep doing that, okay? I mean, it's the least that we can do or we are never going to get out of this. So be safe, be smart, and thank you for doing the above. And my next guest is bar owner, Lauren Jamieson, owner of Lo-Fi Laboratories in Modesto, which is my old neck of the woods, Central Valley. I actually grew up in Riverbank and Modesto was the big city right next to it. And Lauren is my first guest who has an operating business in the Central Valley. And since I started this podcast, I've, I've always wondered about the restaurant bar industry in other parts of California the states, the world, other other places, obviously outside of San Francisco. And so now after a year of my podcast, I finally get to talk to an owner outside of the city. And long story short, I discovered Lo-Fi on Instagram. A person I follow was holding a Bar Hill tasting event at the bar. And that's really how I learned about Lo-Fi. And also, I didn't know Lauren. I didn't know the owner at all. So this was my first cold call about inviting someone who is new to me and obviously new to the podcast to be interviewed. And Lauren was so responsive and so supportive about the industry and my podcast. I, I really feel I hit the industry jackpot speaking with her. And before we get into the interview, I want to read a quote from Lauren. And this is when we were first talking and texting about the industry and the podcast. And she said, I would argue that we are the oldest profession, preparing, offering food and drink. I believe in this industry, and it is a pleasure to support and promote it in any way. What a great quote. That is just, that's just awesome. I love it. And you know, I've never thought about the restaurant bar industry as the oldest profession, but you know, um, you know, the, when civilization started, there weren't a million apps, obviously, and people needed to go to someplace to like meet, talk about ground rules, safe words, etc. And yeah, that makes a perfect sense that the bar industry would be in the running for the oldest profession. I love it. So we're going to hop right into the interview and welcome Lauren. The worst part is, is you can't see my adorable dog. <laughs> Dang it. What kind of dog is it? Oh, who knows? I, I have no idea what she is, but she's just a hundred percent adorable. So I, you know, I didn't mean to take the cutest dog off the market, but I did. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like you deserve it. So that is good <laughs> for you. So it seems like when we were talking, like we kind of hit a lot of topics that I want to talk about again, if you don't mind doing a little bit of a recap. Of course. Awesome. So you talked about growing up in the Central Valley, Modesto. Mm -hmm. I did too. I grew up in Riverbank. Uh, you went into restaurant work pretty early on. And yeah. 
what was your what was your first job in the restaurant world? I worked a beer and wine bar. It was the day after I graduated high school and I was offered a job at Harvest Moon, which is still open downtown, different owners, but still open. I don't know if you can still tend beer and wine bars at 18, but at, in 1998, you could. And so that's how I started. And were you front of the house or back of the house? Or you could have been both, depending on the bar, you know? Yeah, it was definitely a bartending slash serving. You know, it was full full service, dinner service. So we had maybe, I don't know, when I started, maybe three seats at the bar. And then I think they expanded while I was, they, they kept expanding after I left. And, and now they it's a much bigger restaurant than when I started. But yeah, so I, I was definitely serving lunch and dinner and then pouring beer, wine, and, you know, iced tea and all of that stuff. Awesome. And then Harvest Moon, that sounds very familiar. Where, where is it? I know I've seen it. It is on I Street. So downtown. Yes, it's between 12th and 12th and 13th on I. Okay. And then in, in 98, when you, when you started working there, that was a little bit before the downtown kind of remodeling resurgence, or is that kind of at the same time? Because it kind of, I remember downtown being kind of, you know, what you would call sketchy. Yeah. And then you had a few little like boutique like, you know, a nice, you know, beer and, beer and wine place. But now it seems like downtown is, is, is built up more. Is that the time frame I'm thinking? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm having to think back many years now. So uh, apologies if I... Take your time. Sometimes it's really tough. I know. Well, but- if I don't get this exactly right, I, I apologize uh, to my fellow Modestans. But if I recall correctly, Diva opened up on J Street between 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm, that sounds and, familiar. And then they went on to open Harvest Moon. And then I think, if I remember correctly, they kept Diva for quite a long time, but sold Harvest Moon and Mark and Charlene Smallwood at the time. They were married and 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 hired me. And but yes, to answer your question, Diva, if I remember correctly, kind of kicked off the resurgence. When I was a kid, there were a lot of places downtown. There was the vintage. There were places downtown that people went. I think El Clavel was on 15th. Nice places to go. And then they tore down the Hotel Houston and the Covell. And it was, you know, Skid Row down there. I remember, right. Yeah. And they tore down these beautiful old buildings. And that did kind of pave the way. I, I, I feel like that was in the really early 90s, maybe, maybe late 80s. And then... Yeah, they put a theater down there. And anyway, Diva opened up, Harvest Moon opened up, Tricetti's opened up, Dews opened up. Yeah, so there was just this domino effect. And yeah, the early 2000s, there was quite a bit to do and 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 kind of a, a renaissance of sorts. And then I left Modesto. Basically in 2000, I came I came back to Modesto and had an apartment here for gosh, a year or two. And uh, between living in San Francisco, and then I moved to New Orleans in 2006. And then the recession happened. And that really gutted downtown again. 
Um, right. I, I remember that bit. Yeah, it was very devastating to Modesto. But I was living in New Orleans that whole time. And when I came home, I was visiting my family, as we were talking about yesterday. And I, I, did, I, I wasn't really going out and paying attention to what was happening. So, yeah. And now it seems to be, a lot of places are opening. And I, of course, don't have time to go to any of them. But, <laughs> uh, but. I, I, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. And I'm, I'm happy to be a small part of what's happening downtown. That's great. That's such good news. Yeah, you never want to see something shut. You know, it's very unfortunate. And here in San Francisco, so much has shut pre pandemic, because people couldn't afford the rents. And then during pandemic, I mean, we're still in a pandemic. And then when it full force shut down, people obviously lost their income and lost everything. And, you know, again, could not afford rents for a very different reason. Right, right. So I'm very happy to hear that about Modesto coming back. But what about New Orleans? Were you working in the restaurant slash bar industry in New Orleans? Yes. Um, I was a, a cook and a bartender. I worked a couple of different places in New Orleans, not nothing notable, just little neighborhood spots up in the river bend up where Carrollton and St. Charles intersect. And so it was, it's a great neighborhood. And I very quickly became like a New Orleanian in that I never left my own neighborhood. I didn't really drive. I walked everywhere. I walked to work. I walked to the store. I, you know, so I was very familiar with my own neighborhood and, you know, and then when people would come to visit, we would take them to Commander's Palace and things like that. But yeah, for 10 years, had a very neighborhood kind of life there. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I've been to New Orleans probably about six times mm -hmm. and each time I've tried to stay in different parts of mm -hmm. New Orleans. And that's one of the beautiful things about New Orleans is that I mean, those neighborhoods and neighborhood bars and neighborhood restaurants are just gems. You know, each of yes. them are these gems that, yeah, I could see it getting really easy to get sucked into. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it, it was a good feeling to be cooking breakfast for the people that I saw every day. My, my favorite shifts are breakfast and brunch. And... Yeah, so to just to just see the people that I also saw at the bar when I got off of work and, you know, when I was strolling around the neighborhood. I mean, I think that that's my, but that's probably all of our favorite things about the service industry is, is having regulars and having people that we get to know and, and that we feel are kind of like family to, to us. And if, if you're lucky to work in a, you know, for at a place for a very long time, you can, you know, see these people's children and their grandchildren growing up. And it's, it's very rewarding. I think that that's one of the most rewarding things about this industry. Oh, no, that's very well put. I, I agree. So you had your lovely little neighborhood in New Orleans, and then you are back in Central Valley Modesto. Mm -hmm. And did you start working? right away? Or did you just instantly look for a place to purchase, buy? What was that transition like? I came home and got a job in a kitchen because I worked in Livermore for a little bit. Okay. I had a friend that was chefing in Livermore. So I went and worked with her 
And then I got, I, I, commuting really is not my thing. You know, I mean, kitchen jobs are plentiful. So I moved, I started working in Modesto. I've worked at uh, Bowers and a, a chef here named Ty Bower. That was his flagship restaurant. He's opened a couple of other places since and closed that initial location, actually. And then I started working at Camp Four. And I was working kind of those two jobs back and forth while I was working on on the bar. So, and initially I wanted to open a restaurant. That's just what I assumed I would do, but I couldn't find a, a, a space that worked for that. So worked for what I wanted to do. So I I don't really understand in hindsight why I thought that opening a bar would be easier. Yeah. Well, I knew that I wanted a full liquor license anyway. Yes, exactly. Um, yes. So because being in New Orleans and, and, and having brunch, you know, I, I knew that I wanted a full cocktail menu for brunch. But yeah, I don't really know why I thought that gutting a building and building a bar would be easier than like updating a grease trap in an old kitchen. I don't I don't really know what I was thinking. But anyway, that's how it happened. Well, so, and- so what was the space before the bar? What was that before? The building was was completed in 1952. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been many things. When I was a kid, it was Anderson's Frame. And that's what it was. I, that's the only thing I can recall it being. It might have been something before when I was very little. But my whole childhood, it was Anderson's Framing. Okay. And then, it, yeah, I, I, I completely gutted it to the concrete and started all over and one of the questions that that you asked in your email was what it's like being a woman and doing something like this yes and I don't imagine that it would be easy for anybody to do to 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 take on a project like I did for the very first time and I don't think that anybody that was working on the project consciously ignored (laughs) my my vision because I'm a woman but I, I don't I also don't think I don't think that they did it on purpose but I, I I was ignored and so it really didn't turn out the way I had envisioned it you know luckily we're able to make adjustments and, and it's getting closer and closer as the years go by kind of nudging it towards what I had intended in the beginning but I'm not a very brash person. So, you know, getting on the phone and yelling about things and being very confrontational is is just not something that comes naturally to me. And also, I was worried for a little bit that I would have to turn into that, that person to be mm. in, in this business and doing this on my own. And then I decided that's just not me. And And so having to just repeat over and over again. I mean, I think that that's the thing. Men may do it too, but women definitely, I've had to repeat myself over and over and over again. I've had, you know, an electrician and a plumber both working at the same time in the building. And I'll say something that I want from the electrician and the electrician and the plumber will start talking about if that's what I really want. And I think, wait a minute, what what does what does the 
what is the plumber? I mean, the only thing that I can think of that the plumber has anything, you know, to, to do any, any, it's only because he's a man and they're talking to each other. You know, the, the plumber actually does not have anything to say about what I want as far as the electrical goes. So, and so to just constantly have to redirect the conversation and state what I want uh, a little more bluntly, it, it is, I, I think it just takes an extra layer of patience when you're, when you're trying to do this as a woman. Yeah, no, I, God, I, I, I'm just shaking my head because when I had a nine to five job, I worked in construction. Mm -hmm. So I was a project manager and an office manager because we were on the smaller scale of the business. And first, everybody is screaming at everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, that's how it was. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it's right at all. It's not right. But that's just what you did. You picked up the phone right. and you just screamed at everybody. Every, you know, right. the general contractor is screaming at the framer. The framer is screaming at the electrician. And watching that happen, I just was like, the, I, you know, I would think like this is not helping anything because no one's listening. Right. Right. So that's really kind of sucky that they're not listening. They're still not listening. Right. And I know about the dismissiveness. I know about having to repeat yourself 5,000 times. Oh, it's just, I, again, I'm shaking my head. So that sucks, but good for you. You got the place opened and it's, you know, seems to be on your terms. There's some tweaks that need to happen. It's what it's sounding like, but it, it seems like it was most on your terms. Well, I, I would say that now that we're expanding into a restaurant, the restaurant is turning out more like what I had originally envisioned. The bar still kind of makes me upset on a daily basis because I walk in and, and, and what I see, what I see is all the ways in which my, my clear requests, my, my, my clear statements, my instructions were completely ignored but it's it's been a learning process and i i think that going into the the restaurant i've been a little more particular about working with people whose temperaments are closer to something even if they're not like my own it's something that i feel comfortable working with i feel like i i'm at least being heard and now I am not less and less as each day goes by, I am not as willing to be dismissed. Just, you know, it's just not, if, if, if I feel that way, I am totally fine changing a vendor. I'm totally fine not ever calling that electrician again, or just like actually dismissing the person that's working that I, I don't, you know, I'm much more, just like, listen, this isn't working for me and it's my money. And, and, you know, I, I, and that's just the way it is. And I don't want, I don't want to, it is my choice to not turn into somebody that's just yelling at people on the phone. That's just not I, the person that I want to be. And that's important to me. And so I'm not letting it. No, that's, that's great. And yes, good for you. I love to hear that because people just like start to steamroll over each other. And just it's, you know, like I just said, it's not that hard to listen. Well, and 
and I think, you know, I, I think now that I've transitioned to being an owner, it's important to me to stay myself because I've been yelled at by chefs. You know, I've had hot frying pans thrown over my head because the chef came in after a Coke binge and hung over and, you know, I mean, that it's true. Very true. I've seen those scenarios. I Yes, it's true. You know, and, and being a 21-year-old cook and having this person in authority that is just utterly out of control. And I, I don't, I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't want to, to be that way, you know. I think it helps that I don't have a Coke problem. Yeah, that's probably the number one. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I just, I so remember 20 years later how that makes you feel to be spoken to that way. So I, I don't, I just try not to deal with anyone in my life at all that way. And most especially my employees, you know. It's great to hear about having those memories, to learn from those memories and not repeat those memories into your mm-hmm. life. Cause I think that kind of happens too. Yes. So yeah. And it, and it definitely does just take a conscious effort to just process and stop process again and then move forward. And I don't think a lot of people are good at that in general. And then when you are dealing with a high pressure situation and hungry people and you know, the printer's not working and somebody's late and, you know, it's so easy to just lose it. Oh, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's part of being a human being, but then there's a part of other, other factors that could be prevented. Let's just say, yeah. You know, I mean, we're putting on entertainment, really. That's what we're doing. And, you know, we're, we're, and we all know those services, you know, where, where it just, it, you know, when you're like, you're running maybe four minutes late, but, and you're thinking, oh my God, I hope that the simple syrup's not out, I, you know, don't let that be out. And then you get there and not only is the simple syrup out, but all the juices are out and all, and you're going, oh my gosh, I was just hoping <laughs> right. that, that you know, and it was like worse than I could ever imagine. And, you know, and then there are the regulars that are at the door six minutes early and they just want to sit down and they're not going to ask anything of you. They don't even want water, but, you know, and then, and then you're like, well, that's just not how it works, you know? So they come in and they sit down and then they distract your bartender and then the whole service is just shot, but we're in the trenches together and we're basically putting on kind of a play, you know, entertainment for people. It's supposed to look flawless. People are not supposed to see the costume changes and everything behind the scenes. The only thing that makes a, a service like that just the worst is when a team can't come together. Because if you're if you can come together and you're all in it together, then even if it's horrible, you're you're managing to get through it with, with your crew, it makes it, it's fun in a perverse way, I guess, you know, (laughs) because you, you get through it and then there are, you know, high fives and shots and, you know, after the, after the last person leaves and 
you're just like, oh my gosh, we got through that. That's just, man, we're good. You know, it's like that could have been so much worse, but we we made it happen. And, you know, it's almost as rewarding as a as a perfect service in a in a way. No, that I, I agree. So let's talk about March 2020. What happened? Did you shut down? How did you shut down? How did you reopen? What was that like? We shut down for, I think, a full year and a half. We shut down immediately in March, whatever that was, March 15 or 19 or whatever that was. And I, you know, as initially it was supposed to be two weeks and I just knew that that was not what, that wasn't going to be it. So yeah, we were shut down until October of 2021. Wow, uh, that is a big amount of time. The bar is so small. We tried when California lifted, where we didn't have to shelter in place anymore, but we were only supposed to have, you know, so many people in the room and we had to move all the chairs from the bar and all of that. We tried one night to be open just for friends and family, just to see how it would. And it didn't feel good at mm-hmm. all. And it was definitely not entertainment or escapism or anything. It was a a real big downer. Yeah. So we just made the, or I made the decision, I guess, to, because the the head bartender would, would have worked through the whole entire thing. She, she was bored out of her mind, but I just said, look, this is too serious. It is not just about us, you know, the healthcare workers and, everything being so overwhelmed, our whole system being really under strain. I I said, we can't really contribute to this problem. So, and again, the bar was so small that we could have maybe four people in there and they were sitting so far apart. It just didn't feel good. It's a little tough at the moment. I'm really feeling that year and a half now, as far as how we're, you know, the financial part is getting tough. I think we're going to get through it. I know we're going to get through it, but I'm feeling the pressure now more than I did during the pandemic, because even though we're open and we're staffed, we're still climbing back. We were only open for nine months before this happened. That was going to be my next question. Oh my gosh. So nine months and then a year and a half off. Yes. Yeah. We were just starting to hit our stride that, that ninth month we were starting to get consistently busy and we were starting to really be able to, to predict how our, our days were going to go. And then this happened and, and now we're just getting back to pre COVID numbers. That sounds positive that I'm, I'm loving that. Yeah. We're, we're very, lucky. we're very lucky. I'm glad I'm, I'm really happy. You know, I said, I don't know why I thought starting a bar was going to be easier, but I have to tell you that when colleagues, in this industry were throwing out lobster and filet mignon and I just had like a little bundle of limes that were going to go bad and I took them home and drank at home instead you know all my inventory was fine obviously because it was all distilled I mean we threw beer away and stuff but nothing nothing catastrophic and yeah all my inventory was fine and it was a pretty easy operation to get going again that's so nice to hear. And then how did you find your bartenders? How did you how did you hire them? I would like to say on that that we do have an all-female staff. That was not my intention. It ended up 
being that I hired each and every one of the bartenders based on merit. And if I was, I would have basically had to discriminate against them to not, to not hire, you know, cause they were the, the, the best, the best applicants. One bartender, this is kind of not cool, but it's just the truth. There was a, a, a restaurant going under and everybody knew it except for the owners of the restaurant. And so I went and I actually, I poached, I, I poached a bartender, everybody. I did it. I did it. <laughs> Look, we all know those bar, we all know those restaurants that aren't going to make it. And we all know those owners that are the last to know. So I don't think you should feel bad at all. And I, well, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't feel bad, but I feel a little ashamed on a, on an industry podcast saying, you know, I just went and poached this bartender and I didn't even, you know, I didn't even like go and try to seek her out outside of her shift. Like it was just right in the middle of shift. I was like, yeah, I'm worth it. That's ballsy. That's just, that's just ballsy. But you know, on the other hand, the owners weren't there and maybe if they had been, things would have been different for them. But, and I don't think that they're from Modesto or even in town anymore. So I feel uh, comfortable saying that, but she is still with me. Our four original bartenders pre pandemic are still with us. One of them were kind of upset with her. She went and took a uh, a seasonal gig in Virginia at a resort. And, and so, you know, that's a nice adventure for her, but we miss her. Um, she'll be back in August. And, but other than that, we, it's been the original bartender that I poached this, the girl, Penelope is in Virginia and Heather, they're best friends. So against my better judgment, I've hit, hired two sets of best friends and you might think that that would be a disaster, but actually it's been lovely. It's been really great. They're a great balance. We work well together. Now that I'm going to open the restaurant, we've brought on two other trainees because Heather and Penelope are going to come over to the restaurant with me. And so we're training two, two other bartenders. The, the two newest bartenders, Jess and Alicia, we put out an Instagram post and they, they applied. Oh, that's so great to hear. So where do you want to see the industry go now that we're supposed to supposedly coming back? I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but where do you want to see this industry go? Well, not just the pandemic. I think that we were in dark times before and the pandemic. And of course, my Zoom ran out. Lame. Dumb Zoom. Ugh. So what Lauren had to say was, I think the world is heading into some pretty dark times. The service industry is always especially important when things aren't good. We will need to be there to listen, commiserate, comfort, distract, and entertain, and remind people that there can be beauty made from ordinary if ingredients are in the right hands with gracious intent. Wow. Could not have said it better myself. What a great and timely sentiment that just sums everything up. And I, like I said, I agree 100% with that. Um, thank you, Lauren. And I said before that one of the things I love about this podcast is reconnecting with people I haven't or hadn't seen in a while, 
But also, uh, you know, one thing that I love is making new contacts and new friends in this industry. And I feel that Lauren is just, you know, an honest and true comrade in the restaurant and bar world. Really a gem. And thank you again, Lauren, for taking the time to talk to me. And we wish her all the luck with the new restaurant. And I can't wait to see what is in store for Modesto. It's going to be great. Um, Booze Nation, the podcast, can be found on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please follow, like, rate, and review. You're supposed to do all those things. Ugh. Also, uh, Booze Nation on Instagram. It is Booze Nation underscore podcast. So thank you again. Please mask up. Please be safe. And remember, please tip your bartenders. Thank you. Thank you.